0: And this just in, a big change is coming to New York City's gifted and talented programs for students. Mayor de Blasio and schools chancellor Richard Carranza say the city will begin phasing out the entry exam. Critics have said the composition of the programs do not reflect the city's diversity.
1: 15,000 take the test, of whom 2,500 get a seat. Do you really believe that of 65,000 kindergartners in the city, only 2,500 are quote-unquote gifted and talented? That's ridiculous.
0: The Department of Education says it will still offer a gifted and talented test in April and spend the next year working with stakeholders to create a more inclusive program.
2: As you just heard, the entry exam to get the four-year-olds of New York City into gifted and talented programs and schools is coming to an end next year. Why? Where did these programs come from? And what will the future look like for students in New York City? While the New York City
1: specific gifted and talented entrance exams are coming to an end, it is part of a much larger national system of tracking across the United States. In the first part of our podcast, you will learn what tracking is and how it impacted two young lives across the
2: country, ours. As you learn more about us, we'll then dive deeper into the city we now live in. Infamous for their intense gifted and talented programs and schools, the New York school system takes tracking to the next level.
1: So hi guys, I'm Sydney Groom. I'm a black woman and a senior at Columbia College at Columbia University. I'm studying urban studies. I actually moved around a lot as a child. Um, This will come up later
2: in the podcast, but I went to middle school and high school in Las Vegas. Hi, guys. I'm Posey Cohen, and I'm a white woman and a junior at Barnard College. I'm originally from Evanston, Illinois, and I'm majoring in sociology with minors in psych and education studies. So what exactly is tracking? In the earliest? Early 20th century
1: progressive educators sought out a way to organize students into groups based on individual needs, rather than a rigid standardized testing that's been done since the 19th century.
2: However, what they ended up developing was the first IQ test, designed to separate the quote, troubled students from others. This was then widened to sort students into different tracks. Think like the regular honors and advanced placement classes that many high schools have today.
1: However, rather than supporting students based on different forms of intelligence or creativity, students were sorted and put on a specific track based on the results of a test, a test that many students, particularly students of color, were not offered.
2: These tracks determine a student's path through school. Those on the gifted track are put into better classes and they're often rewarded with field trips or special parties. Additionally, they tend to have better relationships with their teachers. Consequently, this sets up a hierarchy with gifted students being treated better and being allocated more resources than the other students. This is problematic in general, but to make matters worse, this divide, gifted versus non-gifted, is racialized. As Sydney mentioned, these tests aren't often administered universally, and historically students of color have been barred from taking them.
1: There have been circumstances where people have been able to request their students be tested, However, this only happens if parents know about the test. This once again points to an access and knowledge problem. Parents have to know about the test in order to request that their children take them. And most of those parents who are able to do that are white.
2: I took one of these tests very early on during my educational path, almost a decade before I even thought about applying to a school like Barnard or Columbia. At first, I didn't even pass the test qualifying me for the advanced math course in middle school. My parents then worked to get me to retest the following year, allowing me to skip into the advanced course. This set me on the track not only for advanced math, but honors in AP English, science, history, and more in high school. The resources I had in those courses then gave me the confidence and knowledge to apply to elite schools such as Barnard, where I am now. But without my parents' access to knowledge in the first place, I would have never had those opportunities.
1: My educational journey was different from Posey's. As I said earlier, I moved around a lot. I went to a different school every year of elementary school. Because of this constant moving, I was never chosen to take the test. Since I couldn't take the test, I was never in the gifted program. However, whenever there were in-class competitions or tests, I scored on average better than the students who were, quote, gifted. In Las Vegas, middle school is the first time that students are offered honors classes. Although I wasn't in the gifted program in elementary school, my mom insisted that I be placed in these honors classes. However, the majority of the students, of the students in those classes were, quote, gifted. They initially performed better than me because they had more preparation. Luckily, I got better, but my experience in higher education classes without the gifted program meant that I was ill-prepared.
2: The difference in our paths isn't a result of differences in academic intelligence or even where we lived growing up. It's a product of the racialized history of tracking and access to resources that is a national problem. I tested in Evanston, and when I didn't pass, my parents had the knowledge to get me retested. Sydney wasn't even asked to take the test in the first place. But we aren't talking about national tracking for
1: the rest of the podcast. Now that you've heard a bit about us, you're going to hear more about the New York-specific gifted and talented entry exams for four-year-olds, an unquestionably unfair system that is finally coming to an end next year.
2: In the next part of our podcast, you're going to hear from our other two group members, Caroline and Sasha. First, Caroline is going to take a deep dive into the history of gifted and talented in New York City. Then you'll hear from Sasha. Before coming to Columbia, she nannied all over the city she was able to interview Simone, a parent of color who had to navigate the Gifted and Talented program in New York City for her daughter, Victoria.
0: So as you've just heard from Sydney and Posey, Gifted and Talented programs are not unique to New York City. My name is Caroline, and I'm a sophomore at Barnard College. I attended public schools in Texas and Arkansas and tested into Gifted and Talented from an early age. However, as you will see, New York City programs often differ from the rest of the country, and it certainly did from my experiences.
3: Hi, my name is Sasha, and I'm a junior at the School of General Studies at Columbia. I'm an African American and Diaspora Studies major with a focus on education, and I also have a psychology concentration. I grew up in the Hudson Valley in New York, about an hour and a half north of the city. I actually went to a magnet school for K-3, through then moved further into the suburbs for the rest of my schooling. Our gifted and talented programs were more like enrichment programs. We would either have special classes before school, or we'd be pulled out during the day to do special activities like puzzles, things like that. My town was pretty small, and we only had one middle school and one high school. Based upon your performance in elementary, you were tracked to do accelerated classes in middle school and where you actually learn earn some high school credits. And by that, um, most of my high school career, I took most of my classes, like AP classes and honor classes with the same 30 or 40 students.
0: Gifted and Talented was introduced to New York City in the early 70s by the Vincent Astor Foundation. Yes, those Astors. They funded gifted, gifted programs in 40 Manhattan and Brooklyn schools these programs were basically designed to keep middle-class white families from leaving the public schools. Of course, since the turn of the 20th century, there's been specialized programs and schooling for those deemed gifted. But they were mostly white and high-income, right? Exactly. These weren't specialized programs for all gifted children. They were for those who already had access and resources However, New York does differ from many other parts of the country in my program and that these programs aren't once a week or an hour a day. New York City has gifted and talented schools and classrooms, meaning in the past when students were tested for entrance. Depending on their scores, they then apply to specific programs or schools. The most selective program are the five citywide schools open to any student who scores in the 97th to 99th percentile.
2: But as we've mentioned, the testing has been abolished. And as a reminder, these tests aren't
1: distributed to every student, nor are they tested every year.
0: Right. But when they were in place, children's futures were based on a single test that parents had to request, which was taken as early as four years old. Of course, the rules didn't apply to everyone. Some parents were able to advocate for their children and pay for them to be privately tested. This obviously led to some corruption and discrepancies between school proctored tests and those outside the school. Additionally, some parents decide to prepare their children for the test with tutors and workbooks, so the parental involvement and knowledge of the GT program becomes a huge factor in their child's admittance.
3: As Caroline mentioned, access to the test and parental involvement are essentially the two biggest factors that play into whether or not children in New York City gain access to the gifted and talented programs as kindergartners. This was highlighted in my interview with Simone, an African-American mother living and raising her daughter in Harlem. Here, she highlights her experience. How did you actually hear about the gifted and talented program?
4: My husband actually did the research and preparation for our daughter to attend um, kindergarten. And it was a toss between public school, private school, and whether or not we would be sending her to um, a gifted and talented school. So he did the research, found out what the requirements were, and then we started to apply and prepare from that point on.
3: Did you go to school in New York City yourself? And if so, did you attend a gifted and talented school?
4: Uh, We both went to New York City public schools. I did not go to a gifted and talented program, but he did go to Dwight Clinton High School, which is considered a specialized high school in New York City.
3: What did the test prep process actually look like for you and your family?
4: So the preparation um, was pretty simple. We went online to the New York City Department of Ed's website. Um, We got the the book that talked about the process. It also included some um, sample exams and it talked about the types of questions that would be asked of a kindergarten. And with the prep test, we did that. And um, at the time she was also going to Columbia University um, to receive some speech therapy And we also had a a babysitter. So in preparation, we um, learned about how other parents had been prepping their children. And so we got some of the preparation books from the Bank Street bookstore and made that a part of her curriculum up until she actually took the test. So we were, you know, we incorporated it in to her Monday through Friday schedule. Um, we weren't didactic about it, but we did make it part of her casual learning. At the time, she was in pre-K, mm-hmm. and we did have a babysitter who would pick her up. So as part of the after-school um, process, that was incorporated in Um, her after school activity. So after school with pre-K, she would have some pre-K homework. And then that would just be, that just seemed like an extension of it before Mm -hmm. she actually got her break and was able to relax for the evening. So
3: you guys take the test and then what happens after that? Like uh, as far as like the notification process or like how long you guys have to wait to hear or what comes after you take
4: the actual test? So we took the test and it was Oh boy, it was a while ago, Sasha, so I don't remember the exact time in between the test taking and receiving the results, but I want to say it may have been about a month Mm -hmm. um, before we received the results or a month after we received the results, we got the results and then the process started to go around to the different schools.
3: As you can see, the application process for applying to gifted and talented kindergarten classes in New York City can be long and arduous. Luckily, Simone and her husband had the time, resources, and cultural capital needed to navigate through this confusing process. However, that is clearly not the case for every family.
4: So based on the scoring that the score that she got would determine what schools she might be eligible for, and then at the time the schools were hosting quite a bit of—I um, don't want to say open houses, but open forums where parents would come to the auditorium, listen to this, listen to the principal talk about their program, so on and so forth, and then they would they would tell us whether or not we would be selected in a couple of weeks. We would we would have gotten a letter from them. So that whole process was kind of daunting because there were schools that we wanted her to get selected to and we would go to these um, these forums to hear and some of those she didn't get selected to and i don't know if you know with the gnt um process some schools might have gnt classes mm-hmm. and then others are gnt schools going from mm-hmm. k through 8 gotcha. so our preference was to get her into a GNT school, not into a GNT class in a public school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it was that part of the process was very, very time consuming and basically nail biting and just daunting because we were going to all these schools to try to see if we could get her in um, based on the schools that we thought would be a good fit for her.
3: So after you were accepted into a few schools, you started the touring process. Do you think that these school tours and open forums for the parents are made available to every family? In your opinion, were they during the hours that made sense or made this process equitable for most families? I
4: opinion- think they tried to I think they tried to keep it as equitable as possible. Most schools would hold more than one, so there might be one during the day, there might be one in the evening. Um, they were none on the weekends so they were always either during the, the weekday or during the evening to accommodate for working parents schedules.
3: As mentioned earlier, the gifted and talented programs in New York City are for grades K through 8. Students can either attend a school that is entirely gifted and talented or they can be part of a gifted and talented classroom within a regular public school.
4: Well one reason is because, it seemed like the test scores of the K through eight schools were higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my, my thinking was, if she's in a school with other children who are G then the mindset um, at least for the most part of the parents would have been the same, which would have trickled down to their children. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have been children that were very focused and it wouldn't have been so many distractions. In addition to that, you know, children that are in public schools that are in GT classes kind of are kind of like isolated from the rest of the population. The GT schools, K through eight, seem to have more diversity in its student population, whereby a school with a GT class mm-hmm. in certain neighborhoods were not as diverse. Because with G&T schools, the children are not regulated to their zone, right? So they can come from anywhere in the city within New York and go to that school. So they're not regulated to their district, their zone. So you have children from all over New York attending the K-8 through eight G&T schools, okay. which was really important to me. Diversity was very important to me.
0: There has also been research done into whether a test taken at four years old is a valid source of a child's future intelligence. Cultural biases and narrow criteria also plagued the exam. For instance, students were not graded on their creativity or multilingualism.
2: So the test was created by white people for white children who benefited from their white parents' knowledge.
0: According to the Century Foundation, in 2019, around 10% of all students admitted to New York City gifted and talented programs were Black or Latinx. Despite the fact that Black and Latinx students make up about 66% of New York City public schools, these programs segregate children within the schools based on race and income. Only 43% of GT students live in poverty, while the city averages 77% of students in public schools. So it really is just a system of separating students on race and income without any regard for so-called merit or intelligence.
1: Wow, those numbers are striking. The lack of Black and Brown students in gifted and talented programs is very problematic. And with the future of gifted and talented programs uncertain, it's necessary to include the perspective of the students and and parents of color. Simone, earlier you
3: mentioned that diversity was important to you.
4: Sure, so diversity to me meant Um, race, right, so I wanted her to be around a diverse population of students in terms of race, ethnicity, culture. I also wanted her to be around a diverse population of students from a socioeconomic background, Mm -hmm. right, I didn't want her to be um, limited to one particular socioeconomic class, um and I think that it has proved beneficial because she does not see race. She does not see um, she does not see how do I say this in the mind of like a a, a kid, but she doesn't see socioeconomic classes mm-hmm. as it relates to the people that are her friends. Race, no one sees. Um, money, no one sees any of that, but pure friendship. Ah, yes, diversity.
3: I don't think it's possible to talk about education or quite frankly, most things without discussing diversity. That word, of course, means very different things to very different populations. Do you mind sharing what school you ended up choosing for your daughter?
4: Yep, we chose Tag, Talented and Gifted Scholars. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it, it, it... it was it, it's a great school it's a great school I mean what they're exposed to at from kindergarten through eighth grade um, is really high level and they're always <clears throat> about like they're half a school year ahead of their peer grade in other schools so they're always they're always ahead of the curve and their test scores have spoken volumes to that over the years and um, I've, I've just been able to see how much Progress she has made both academically and on a maturity level, and then her ability to think above and beyond the average child for her age when it comes to academic endeavors.
3: So, you said that you know, TAG or, or GTs in general, but TAG in particular is at least a you know, a marking period or semester ahead of like um, the grade level that. Um, they're supposed to be. Would you, mm-hmm. do you know that just from like, you know, the brochures or is that due to comparison to other students who, a family or friends that you know that don't go to a gifted and talented school?
4: So it's due to comparison of family and friends, children who are in the same grade that don't go to a g and uh, When we're, when they're talking or we're comparing homework, projects, assignments, you know, I often hear that their child's school is not doing that, hasn't done it yet. Or when my daughter talks to their children about what they're doing in school versus what she's doing, her response often is, I've done that already. Or if they're struggling with something, I can help you with that because I, I, I've i done that already. One of the things that um, really stood out for me when I talked to other parents is technology. She gets a technology class and TAG and she was getting it where they were doing programming, and they were doing coding. And my family and friends' children were not exposed to that in their schools. So even in science, you know, they had science theory, and then they also had science lab, where they did experiments. And my family and friends' children were not experiencing um, the experimental part of science, 50% of their eighth grade class was accepted into specialized high schools. And it's a feeder school because of the school's reputation because of the children's academic abilities because of um, the principal's reputation. When people see tag on their application, they notice. And those children, I mean, of course, with their own merit and grades and all that kind of stuff, but they get selected into other schools because they know that the program is rigorous. They know that the program is progressive. They know that those children have the fortitude now to step into their environment and do just as well because they're used to it.
3: And then, so you said that, um, you know, TAG is a feeder school for um, a lot of the specialized high schools, or, um, or at the very least for just like set you up for success, either way. And mm-hmm.
4: do you have any prospects for high school? Or- um, I, I am going to prepare her as much as I can um, for high school. Uh, I would like, we would like for her to go to a specialized high school, but, um, you know, she's, she's leaning toward studying psychology. Um she has a couple of things in mind, but that's the one that she said most consistently. And she talks more about going to Columbia University um for college than she does about high school. And I'm like, wait a minute, you got a few more <laughs> grades before you, get there, yeah, before no, you I mean, get there. We've chosen this topic because
3: New York City is making big changes to the GNT program. This is the last year that they'll be giving the GNT test to kindergartners. They say that they are trying to make gifted and talented more equitable for everyone. Do you think this is the right solution? Being in g has obviously worked out well for your family. How do you feel about the proposed changes?
4: You know, Sasha, it's, it's, it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. I feel like, I feel like there definitely needs to be changes in the New York city department of ed and, how it's run and if it were run differently if it were if the if if the schools had the resources if we had the qualified teachers that cared if the parents played an active role there would be no need for gnt right because everyone would be getting a great education no matter what community or district you live in um so that's my pollyanna thinking right like if we did the right thing then we wouldn't have a need for the, you know, to specialize and segment out children. Um, so to answer your question, do I think they should make the, there should be a change and um, get rid of the testing process for kindergarten? My answer to that would be, they could do that only if they were going to open up more classes in g for kindergarten, right? So if you had more kindergarten gnt classes and of course then you would have to have more first grade more second more third um, then yes get rid of the get rid of the testing but if you're not going to make those type of fundamental changes to the the school system then how do you really get rid of the gnt and what because they haven't said what criteria they're going to be using um, to determine whether or not a student gets selected for the program.
3: Mm-hmm. I think part of it is that it isn't that they, you know, I don't think they're fundamentally against gifted and talented programs. I think what it is, is about making that decision as a four, four and a half year old, three and a half year old. I think that's what is for, up for immediate debate. And so mm-hmm. I think that they're like, okay, we, we're not against this in theory, right? But the assessments should start early, um, later, such as third grade.
4: So then that, that would, one would have to assume that all kindergartners, first and second graders are being taught the same and have an equal playing field for what they're learning and how they're learning it and their experience. You could be in school A that doesn't have the resources, the teacher with the skill set being a disruptive class. And then you can be in school B, which is almost, which is like a tag and you would still be at an advantage over the person in school A. So, I mean, I understand, I understand what you're saying. And I do think that that, That does have some validity, but if that's going to be the case, then the playing, the the playing ground has to be, it has to be fair and equal. Mm -hmm. And how do you guarantee that? After going through this whole process, would you do it again? If I had another child, yes, I would definitely do it. I would do it all over again. I would do it all over again. I wouldn't change anything.
3: As you can see, the debate surrounding how to best diversify the gifted and talented programs in New York City is very complicated. While this program has clearly enriched the lives of students like Victoria, it unfortunately excludes and leaves behind thousands of other students of color.
1: By now, you've heard from both of us about what tracking is and our experience with tracking growing up as well as a bit about the history of New York City's Gifted and Talented program. You also heard from Simone, a woman of color and mom to Victoria, a student in the gifted and talented school system currently.
2: But what about the future? With the kindergarten entry exams ending this spring, the future without Gifted and Talented is still uncertain. Here's what the mayor has to say about the future of g and
1: It will not be a single test, and we think we have an opportunity to do something so much better that can reach so many more kids.
2: So New York City is expecting to have a plan by the fall. Who are the so-called education and community stakeholders? And how will the DOE ensure that the best quality of education is received by all students?
1: I mean, that's the big question, right? Almost everyone has a different opinion on how to get there, from community groups to parents to teachers, the Department of Education, all the way down to the students themselves. We by no means, have the answer, but one potential solution is universal testing.
0: If there are testing programs within schools to determine who is enrolled and gifted and talented, then they should be offered to every student and offered every year. While the gifted and talented entry exam for four-year-olds is being scrapped, that doesn't mean the entry exams to the New York City specialized high schools are specialized testing isn't necessarily gifted and talented. However, g and students often feed into these programs. Universal testing would ensure every student is given the chance to take the entry exams for both gifted and talented and specialized high schools. Another solution
3: that has been suggested is that the testing for g and would start in the third grade instead of kindergarten. That way, students would have a few years to get acclimated to the school and gives them enough time to build an academic portfolio that is more reflective of their academic potential.
1: While this may seem like the right answer, there are still large disparities when it comes to access to tutoring and preparation for these exams. Some people prepare their child for the test, giving them an advantage when taking it. And as you heard from Simone, the Department of Education doesn't do a great job of advertising these programs or resources for preparation to all families. She herself suggests that the DOE better advertises resources for families considering going
4: into gifted and talented so that they all have somewhat of a level playing field. One One of the disservices that I think that happens in the Department of Ed is that there's not enough promotion about GNT. Unless you go digging for it, you don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a g poster anywhere around New York City? I don't think so. Or even like those bus stop or like those no. city link things or like... Yeah. Never, mm-hmm. never. But you see all of the other types of schools on those posters, right? Why doesn't the Department of Education promote the GNT and um, school? or the G&T classes, they don't promote it. They don't promote it. So as a result of them not promoting it, enough parents don't know about it to even have their children prepare and test for it.
3: Finally, there are many critics advocating for the changes to the g program itself. To increase Black and Latinx student enrollment, some experts are advocating for an expansion of the gifted and talented programs in the city, which they argue would lead to an increased Black and Latinx enrollment in specialized high schools. Of course, this is not a surefire plan and could simply exacerbate the current inequities, i.e. white middle-class families taking up the new GNT spots.
2: There is really no panacea for making gifted and talented programs more equitable for children of all backgrounds. It is a complicated, multifaceted problem that requires a complicated, multifaceted solution, one that incorporates the experiences and perspectives of low-income and black and brown New Yorkers. In a school system that is already highly segregated, New York City Gifted and Talented further segregates the largest school system in the country. Hopefully, the Department of Education and Mayor Bill de Blasio will work to bring some semblance of equity in their update of Gifted and Talented programs. Thank you for listening to our episode, Fair and Equal Playing Grounds, The Future of Gifted and Talented in New York City, part of the Puzzling It All Together podcast series.